football season is never over. The Ringer NFL Show has got all your football needs covered from free agency to the draft and so much more. Check out The Ringer NFL Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. Take a shot at betting the NBA with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. Coming up on New York, New York, the NFL draft is just a couple of days away and we have you covered every which way. The Jets have two first round picks. We know they're taking Zach Wilson, but the intrigue for the Giants, is it an Alabama receiver? Well, it better be. We'll have Connor Hughes on the Jets. We'll have Danny Heifetz on the Giants. We got you covered from what was an interesting Tuesday of baseball action, plus draft props provided by our friends over at FanDuel Sportsbook and a ton of voicemails. New York, New York. It's coming up next. baby welcome in to episode 11 of new york new york with yours truly jj johnji stremsky we're right here on the ringer podcast network and we finally made it what do i mean by that draft day draft week is upon us and i don't know if you folks have felt this way over the last few weeks over the last few months I feel like it has been this like never ending saga leading us to the NFL draft in 2021. Well, we finally made it. And I think a lot of this long and winding road type of feel is mainly due to the fact that the Jets and the draft have been a conversation going all the way back to last September. No exaggeration. Last September, right after week one, first game of the year, 16-game season, any given Sunday, I was entertaining the thought, and many Jet fans were most certainly entertaining Tank for Trevor. That was the subject. That was the hope throughout what was a rotten, vile, miserable season. Oh, you're going to end up with Trevor Lawrence. They beat the Rams. They beat the Browns. That goes out the window. And it's same old, same old for the Jets picking at number two. The hope is now that at number two, you finally are going to get it right at quarterback. And I'm not breaking any ground by saying this. It's the worst kept secret. The Vegas odds indicate it. Zach Wilson is going to be a Jet. Zach Wilson is going to be the number two pick in the draft. It's fait accompli. It's inevitable. We've known it for months. The trade of Sam Darnold, 
the talk around Wilson, on and on we go. The good news for the Jets, this young quarterback cannot be put in a worse predicament than what Sam Darnold was put in over the last few years. And in many ways, we are going to look back on Thursday and we are going to look back on this weekend as almost a make or break type of feel for Joe Douglas and the Jets. Not necessarily this head coach. What do I mean by that? For this franchise to really turn it around, not only does the head coach have to build the culture, you have to have a quarterback. You're going to win in the NFL, you have to have a quarterback. It's a quarterback-driven league. You have to hope now that Zach Wilson is going to take the reins, hit the ground running, and be a guy who could be the quarterback of his team for the next decade. Jets haven't had that. Since the days of Joe Willie Namath, you know, they had a couple of good years out of Chad Pennington. His shoulder got in the way. Sanchez won a couple of playoff games. Never ended up living up to the billing of being a top pick in a draft. Kenny O'Brien had his moments. Boomer at that point in his career was past his prime. Vinny gave you a vintage 1998 and then blew out his Achilles week one against the Patriots. The Jets have been searching for a consistent top flight quarterback play. In drafting Zach Wilson, that's what you're hoping for. Now, some of the comparisons out there are Minnie Mahomes, please. Let me see Wilson play in the NFL and dominate the NFL before we're throwing his name anywhere near Patrick Mahomes, okay? I see that sort of stuff. It makes me cringe, and it's not fair. Quite frankly, it's not fair to Zach Wilson. Coming out of BYU, smallish school, but a kid who's got a whole lot of swagger. Kid who's got a whole lot of charisma. Has a big arm. Can't wait to see what he's going to do. Hopefully, he will be terrible in the two games against the Miami Dolphins, and then he has a good, successful rest of his NFL career. Seriously, that's my hope for him. But this draft is also important for the Jets because they have draft picks galore. And with where they're at as a franchise, I can't pinpoint one individual position with that second first round pick and suggest, oh, you got to do this, or you got to do that, because quite frankly, you need just about everything. If they end up going with an edge guy, great. If they take an offensive lineman, great. If they want to go and get a corner because he's the best player available, who's going to fall Joe Douglas and the Jets on that? Here would be my one major complaint come Thursday night. If the Jets with their second first-round pick go and take a running back, I think they're absolutely insane. And this has nothing to do with Mr. Harris or ETN. No, 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 no. It's nothing to do with those players. The Jets have far bigger needs than who's carrying the football. Far bigger needs. That's something they can address next year if they're moving in the right direction. So I'm not going to fault them on a tackle. I'm not going to fault them on a corner. You name it a position. Just don't take a running back. So the Jets are going to be a very active participant in the first couple of rounds of this draft. And this is where they have to lay the groundwork. This is where they have to build the foundation for what they're going to be as a franchise. Starts on Thursday night. For the Giants, the Giants are in a different predicament. I think a lot of Giant fans are very skeptical still on this general manager, as they should be. 
I think there are a whole lot of Giant fans uncertain if Daniel Jones is the right guy and if Daniel Jones can be a franchise quarterback. I I don't know the answer to that question. I do know this. Year three, it's put up or shut up time. It's now time for Daniel Jones to take that sort of leap. And I'm not saying it's got to be a Josh Allen sort of leap, but it's got to be significant. You cannot have any doubt. You cannot have any questions next December, next January about the quarterback position. You got to know. That's why this offseason for me would have been front and center on, okay, we are going to eliminate every excuse known to man. So that way we can properly evaluate Daniel Jones for better or for worse. It's why I was such a big believer in the Kenny Galladay signing when they made it. Because Galladay, when he plays, is a terrific, standout, top-notch wide receiver. Durability can be called into question, but I've always loved Kenny Galladay's game. But I'm not stopping there if I'm Dave Gettleman and the Giants. And I know he made that dopey, ill-advised comment about trading back and how he doesn't want to get fleeced. And it's just out of touch. And in many ways, it's clueless. Forget about all that. Dave Gettleman, if he has an opportunity to get one of the Alabama wide receivers, if Devontae Smith or Jalen Waddell is sitting there, and the sense I get is that Jalen Waddell is going to go ahead of Devontae Smith, call it a gut feel, call it whatever you want, I expect that to be the case. You can't pass up on one of those two guys. The Giants have made plenty of investments in the offensive line. Andrew Thomas, Will Hernandez, the UConn tackle, free agent signings. I'm kind of sick and tired of the Giants in the first round drafting an offensive lineman when this offense was blasé, boring, and had no pizzazz about it in any way. Yeah, you're getting Saquon Barkley back. Great. Hopefully he's going to be... a Major, major factor. Galladay should help, but why stop there? If I can go and get Devontae Smith or Jalen Waddle, that is the play. That is the way to go about it. Either one of those two guys. Because then all of a sudden you look at the giant offense, it becomes far more dynamic, far more explosive. And the ramifications of this first round, folks, knowing the Philadelphia Eagles are right behind you, And the Philadelphia Eagles have a need for a wide receiver. Yes, the Giants, they have a need on the offensive line. They have a need for an edge rusher. I saw a couple of mock drafts suggesting they could take a corner. No, 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 no. You can't do that with James Bradbury and Adoree Jackson. And I know you need as much secondary help as possible. But when you have needs that are far more glaring and there are players atop the draft board that fit the description perfectly... Go and get one of those two guys. Devontae Smith, the general model. I think one of them, if not both of them, will be available. Probably one of them. And you'll find out a little bit later on in the show. So I shouldn't say both. I'm going to rephrase that. One of them will be available. Go and get him. Friendly advice for the Giants. You want to properly evaluate your quarterback? Give him some guys to throw the football to. Kenny Galladay and one of these Bama receivers? That at the end of this year, you got to know, okay? He could play. He's going to be our guy, hopefully for the next 10 years. Or we don't have the right quarterback. That's what's on the line Thursday night. 
It's a very intriguing NFL draft. All the quarterback stuff at the top. Yeah, my team, the Dolphins at six. So I'm rooting for quarterbacks to go like crazy. Please, somebody trade up with Atlanta. Get Trey Lance. Take Justin Fields. San Fran, thank you. I appreciate the hospitality for the Finns to get a couple extra picks because I want Kyle Pitts or Jamar Chase in the absolute worst way. And if they end up with Jalen Waddle or Devontae Smith, I ain't going to be complaining either. What a time to be alive for my Dolphins and a couple of first-round picks, a couple of second-round picks. Gift baskets, maybe some gift certificates. Going the way of Bill O'Brien. Gracias. Gracias, my friend. Much appreciated. So I'm fired up for the draft on Thursday, and we got you covered every which way. Now, as far as the baseball goes, Monday night was a despicable, disgusting loss for the Yankees. They made Matt Harvey look like the Matt Harvey of 2013 with the Mets. That inexplicable base running. They got a so-so start out of Davey Garcia. And with the Orioles on the schedule, you have to win these games. That's why I looked at Tuesday's game and I said, no messing around, no bullshit. Go get a nice, easy home-home win. And that's exactly what they did. And I've been very skeptical of Corey Kluber wondering how much he has left in the tank. Hands down on Tuesday night, that is the best Corey Kluber we have seen in a New York Yankee uniform. Kluber was absolutely terrific. Terrific. And give Aaron Boone credit. I know he's much maligned at this point in time. Aaron Boone pushed the envelope on Corey Kluber. He said, go get it, big boy. I need a little bit more length out of you. Can you deliver? Can you go and get it done? Kluber did exactly that. What did he give you? He gave you basically seven innings of one-run baseball. The fact that Corey Kluber's pitching in the seventh inning, real good sign. And you know what was nice to see? I can't believe how refreshing it actually was for the Yankees to hit the ball out of the ballpark. What a concept. This is what I expected all damn year. Judge hit one out of the ballpark. Stanton hit one out of the ballpark. And here's the other interesting dynamic that is developing in Yankee land. Kyle Higashioka has been one of their hottest hitters. The numbers back that up. Hit another home run on Tuesday night. He did a well of a job handling Corey Kluber. To suggest that Higgy should get more playing time than Gary Sanchez is not a comical thought at all. And I think anybody who listened to me in my previous job knows at times I have been very much a Gary Sanchez apologist. 30 home run talent, rocking start in 2016, 2017. Well, know this. Gary Sanchez, after a hot first two couple of games of the year, has done nothing since. Nothing. Yankees trying to win. They're under 500. You know Higgy's catching Cole no matter what. Do I have a problem if he's getting 50% of the time or even more than that? I don't. Until Gary Sanchez shows me otherwise, it's a prove-it type deal. So it was nice to see, and it was refreshing to see, the Yankees play a crisp game, make a couple of nice defensive plays. The bullpen has been lights out. Go win three out of four. The Orioles stink. The Yankees usually hit a ton of bombs at Camden Yards. Go win the next two games with Herman and Montgomery Wednesday and Thursday. And another minor Yankee note, Mike Tauchman getting traded for Wandy Peralta. Weird trade. 
Hawkman didn't have much of a role on this team. That's what it boils down to. I know he plays hard. I know he's a left-handed bat. Clint Frazier is the everyday left fielder, and Gardner's playing a ton. It also signals to me Luke Voigt is close. The Yankees like Rugnet Odor, and he's going to have a roster spot on this team, and Mike Talkman was not. I also think it should signal at the trade deadline, if the Yankees can go somehow, some way, and get a lefty bat, they should do it. I don't know how many times I need to scream it. They need to get more diversified as a lineup with contact hitters and with left-handed hitters. But Tockman was not going to play. Maybe catch a little lightning in a bottle with Peralta coming out of the bullpen. He's a lefty throwing 95, 96 miles an hour. And hopefully Luke Voigt's going to be back in this lineup. His presence has been missed. Last year was their best hitter from a power standpoint. He's been missed. But this is a good bounce back win for the Yankees on Tuesday. Desperately needed. As for the Mets, I always am of the mindset that when you're in the game before your ace is on the mound, meaning DeGrom is pitching on Wednesday, I am managing the game super, super aggressively the night before. And it's not like the Mets had Taiwan Walker or Marcus Stroman on the mound. They had David Peterson on the mound. Who is what? Their fifth starter? Their fourth starter? He's a back end of the rotation type of dude. And I'm all for pushing guys, and I want to see starters go deeper in the games. It's something I root for. But I know I'm getting seven big-time innings out of Jake. So in a game that's tied, third time through the order, I'm going to have a very short leash with Peterson. I did not agree with stretching him out as long as Louis Rojas did, especially when you acknowledge the fact that the Mets are not doing a good job of scoring runs. They got completely mowed tonight by Boston Red Sox pitching. Mowed. And don't tell me a manager doesn't make a difference. Look at the Red Sox with Alex Cora at the helm. Completely different team. Personnel, slightly different. Kike Hernandez, Garrett Richards, not much different. And they're six games over 500. They're going to be spunky, I think, all year. Peterson had a good start. It's tough to bellyache about six innings and two runs. But understand the situation knowing who's pitching tomorrow. And for the Met bats, I mean, they were just... Aside from the McNeil home run in the second inning, there ain't much to say. Lindor, rotten start. Rotten start. Dom Smith ain't doing much. Tough to get on Alonzo because he's had a lot of good at-bats. He did not have a good night, giving you an 0 for 4 with the sombrero. The Mets, in many ways, folks, lucky to be 500 because they have not hit at all. They have not hit a lick. That was on full display here against the Red Sox. And hopefully, the offense from a Mets standpoint will back up the best and the hottest pitcher in the sport. So, on a night where I'm actually hooting and hollering for the Mets to actually get a win, because I don't want to see the Red Sox giddy, I don't need more happiness from Bill Simmons with his baseball team, not to be. So, step it up tomorrow night. Please. For my sanity, step it up. All right, before we get to a loaded rest of the show, I believe we are going to lead it off with a bang, a little voicemail action. So, who's in the leadoff spot? Scott from Hoboken, fellow Staten Islander, new fan, big fan, and diehard Nets fan. 
Let me tell you something, Knicks fans. Congratulations on the bigger fan base. They don't hand out trophies for that. The Nets are a far superior organization from top to bottom. Better owner, GM, coaching staff, roster, and even facilities. You all lost out big time when KD and Kyrie chose Brooklyn, and I hate to break it to you, but the Knicks will never have a better roster than the Nets have right now. Not only do they have three superstars, they have three all-time historically great first ballot Hall of Famers. If this team is healthy, they will win a championship. It's as simple as that. And globally, the Nets are way more popular. Check the numbers. Enjoy your first round exit. Nets world, baby. Yeah, I think Scotty's a little delusional with the global brand of the Brooklyn Nets and the New York Knickerbockers. Unfortunately, he's spot on with the talent. The Nets are a more talented team. I would, I, I would hope so. They have Kevin Durant, they have Kyrie Irving, they have James Harden. Those are three of the top, what, 10, 15 players in the sport? They're graded on a different curve and scale right now than the Knicks. The fact that the Knicks were playing a game Monday night against the Phoenix Suns, tough loss. Didn't have an answer for Ken Johnson. Didn't have an answer for Chris Paul in the fourth quarter. Devin Booker is an absolute stud. Knicks are due to lose one of these games. The fact that you're talking about the Knicks winning nine in a row, ten in a row. You tell me that doesn't speak to the coaching brilliance of Tom Thibodeau? Look, I like the job that Steve Nash has done this year. I'm not trying to disparage him in any way. What's the tougher coaching job? I mean, please. The Knicks, who have been a dumpster fire for two decades, on the Nets, where you're basically walking into a situation where you got Hall of Famers and All-Stars. Come on. Come on. Cool Jets. There is this inferiority complex with a lot of the Nets fans out there. Enjoy your team. Enjoy your team. And I know they're going to say, well, the Knicks fan pokes fun at me. Bah, bah, bah. You're a championship or bust type team. And know this. If you end up losing early in the postseason, you're going to get roasted. And you should get roasted. The Knicks are a part of the innocent climb. That innocent climb has been a feel-good ride all season long. If you think you're being graded on the same curve this year, you're not paying attention. We will have giant and jet perspective from two of my favorites. Connor Hughes at The Athletic. Danny Heifetz over at The Ringer. So I figured we'd split the baby in half. We got voicemails coming up. We got NFL draft props coming up, courtesy of FanDuel Sportsbook. All that more. It's New York, New York. Get all rolling right after this. It's draft week. So we got to welcome in my guy who has taken his golf game to another level and is one of the guys I always can count on for great insight when it comes to the New York Jets. My main man, Connor Hughes from The Athletic. Connor, what's happening, bro? I'm doing well, JJ. I'm, I'm happy to jump on the podcast for the first time, man. You liking the? I know it's still it's still new. What have you been doing it for? Like a uh, a month old? Have we reached the month anniversary yet? Basically, I think our first one was the eve of the national championship game in college basketball. So I think we're. I, I lose track of the count. I yeah. say it before the start of every show, and then I totally forget about what number it is. For goodness sakes, Connor. <laughs> so listen, I think we're closing it on a month, give or take. So there I, you go. Listen, now I know. I take it from the old gig, and I can count on you for your Jets expertise on a new gig. There we go. I'm excited, man. I'm excited. All right, let's get to it. Um, as we went through this draft process, were you sold all along on Zach Wilson? Did you believe at some point in time they were going to keep Sam Darnold? Like, when did it become clear to kind of use, okay, Zach Wilson is going to be the guy for the Jets? 
Yeah, I, I I was all aboard the the Trevor Lawrence train. I think was the big thing was that it was throughout the first. I mean, what did the Jets get to? I won an eleven, I won an twelve, uh, something like that. I mean, they were. It was like Trevor Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence, and and when the Jets beat the Rams, and suddenly that Trevor Lawrence dream seemed to die. It was like, oh no, they they ruined themselves. Like holy, they had the generational quarterback that was here, right in their hands, right in their grasp, four weeks away, a month away from Trevor Lawrence. Holy cow, Trevor Lawrence is going to be a Jet. And then they win this meaningless game against the Rams where the Rams fell victim to the trap game. And it was actually on on our podcast that we do that, that we had Dane Brugler, who does a great job for us with with draft stuff, who came on and was like, I know Jet fans are going crazy. I know it seems like, you know, doom and gloom, but this kid from BYU is pretty good. And when he talked about that was when then I, I started watching some Zach Wilson games. I watched him against UCF. And then, look, I, I've said this before to you, JJ. I'm not a I'm not a a quarterback guru. I'm not an X's nose guy. I, my quarterbacking experience goes to my flag football days when I was just out of college with like my friends playing a co-ed league. You and me both running the no huddle. Yeah. I was doing it at Royal Oak Field for a yeah. long time, Connor. Yeah, I'm I right said, with you on that. I feel you, bro. I took us to the playoffs. I got, we didn't win a playoff game, there but go. I got us there. That, so I'll, like I'll, a Chad take, I'll wear the Matt type. Stafford hat. Yeah, yeah, okay. Pennington Stafford. Yeah, I'll wear that. So, I mean, it was like, I, I'm not going to pretend like I know how to break down a quarterback. So I just talk to people who do. Like, I ask people who do. And they started saying, like, no, Zach Wilson seems pretty good. And then obviously it was like, well, the Jets have to get their quarterback. But then once they got Salah and he's bringing with him LaFleur and you find out what LaFleur's offense wants a quarterback to do, which is mobility, not Lamar Jackson mobility, but the ability to move in and outside of the pocket, the ability to make throws accurately on the run, the ability to be accurate, period. And then what really takes that offense to the next level is when you have a quarterback that can stand tall within the pocket when the run game is shut down and when the play action isn't there and attack deep down the field and, and stretch the field and, and stretch the defense. And I'm re I'm telling you what this is. I'm relaying what people told me to you now. And that's literally the Zach Wilson scouting report. So once you put that, those two dots together, it was pretty obvious that the jets were going to go that way. And, and I know they like flirted with the idea of keeping Sam Darnold and, and yeah, they were true. They do like Sam Darnold. They do believe in Sam Darnold, but it was once Zach Wilson had his pro day and and once the Jets were able to check off the medical red flags, check off any personality uh, default or defects that they might have been a little curious about and, and saw him in person. I think that was when it became, look, it really doesn't matter about Sam, Sam Darnold. It was once the Jets evaluated Zach Wilson and said, we think that guy's a franchise quarterback. That's when it was over. And it was right around the time he had his pro day. What is the comp? that people keep telling you, and I always love these because sometimes they're super accurate. Mm -hmm. Other times they're not accurate at all. But as you've been doing your research throughout this draft process, is there a player comp that you have for me to try to, you know, put side by side with Zach Wilson? I watched, I watched NFL network one day and they did one of those quarterback comps. And I think they had Zach Wilson with like Patrick Mahomes, body, Aaron oh, Rodgers, boy, here we feet. Go. like, oh, dude, I saw one of them. I was like, all right, let's reel this in a little. Like, cool, it was like cool Russell Wilson's, oh, dude, it was like, it was like robo perfect quarterback. It was like Russell Wilson's arm, like somebody's Tony Romo's brain. It was, dude, it was ridiculous. But I think he's one of those guys that he's not a small quarterback. Like he's not the, the Russell Wilson type kind of guy because he is 6263 like he's got some size on him and once he gets to the NFL he'll pack on some weight but i think he's he's a combination of a lot of different guys i don't necessarily know if there is one like the the way that he was kind of described to me a little bit was like 
He's a little Johnny Manziel like in his mobility in that he's not a runner. Like Johnny was not somebody that was going to go if he stayed in the league was not somebody who's going to run for 800, 900, a thousand yards like Vic or Jackson or any of those guys. But you watched him make plays with his legs and you watched him escape within the pocket and make some of those really cool ma- uh, moves. So he kind of he moves like Manziel. Then he does have ridiculous accuracy and he has that. Where, they, where you hear the Mahomes and where you hear the Aaron Rodgers kind of comparisons, it comes to like his ability to make plays when things break down. That he has that like Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, Pat Mahomes like ability to when things break down, he can move around, escape and make those, those improvisational plays that, tear, that, that can tear defenses apart. And I don't know if he is Mahomes. I don't think anyone is. I don't think he's Aaron Rodgers. I think that that's not the case. But I think he can be one of those guys that, can be a very, very, very good quarterback. And I don't necessarily know if there is a direct player comp. I think I read one that said maybe like Jeff Garcia in his prime. And, and I, I like Jeff Garcia. I know yeah, he wasn't I, a flashy, sexy name. He had a good NFL career. Good NFL yeah, career. I didn't, exactly, man. I didn't hate that. And and I think that could be something. Like, I think he probably has more upside than, than Garcia did. But I think he's one of those guys that it's tough to say he is this player because he does a lot of things that other people do don't necessarily. I mean, he's, he's kind of a hybrid of a lot of different guys, and, and I think he's going to be really fun to watch play, assuming the Jets can obviously develop him and, and give him some help, which they, they did not do with Sam. Yeah, let's be honest. You think about the lack of support that Sam Donald got across the board. Yeah. Playmakers, line, coaches. I mean, the bar has been set so low, Connor. I, <laughs> I, I don't know how the Jets are going to draft. I don't know what they're going to do moving forward. But for Zach Wilson, it can't be any worse than Sam. There's just no way, right? Yeah. There's no way. Correct. Yeah. And I, I think that like, I think the one thing that, that does kind of like make you say like, all right, enough, enough is like, I know like Joe, Joe dropped that comment. Um, he told us about the comment where he said like he talked to Sam's parents when he first met him and was like, you know, I'm going to do everything I can to give your your son like playmakers and protection or something along those lines. You know, I'm going to do everything I can to protect your son. And and obviously a year later, he trades him. And you know, like a lot of people have said like, oh, why is this going to be any different for, for Zach, you know, when when it wasn't any different for Sam? And the Jets never surrounded Sam with talent. So how can you say, you know, they're going to surround Zach with talent? How, how, how? And, you know, I, if you want to dive into the whole same old Jets and you want to use that as the reason or you want to say, oh, the Jets haven't developed a quarterback since name, if that's the reason or, you know, the Jets are quarterback cursed, that's the reason. OK, fine. But but you can't blame Joe for Sam's struggles because Joe wasn't the GM for Sam's struggles. I mean, the, the reason why the Jets were a two and 14 disaster last year was because of Mike McCagnan. I mean, he was atrocious in the 2015, 16, 17, 18 and 19 drafts. I mean, that's, that's 2015 through 19 where the Jets were one of, if not the worst drafting teams. And he didn't exactly do any better in free agency with signings like Revis and Cromartie and uh, Revis. Well, Cromartie was actually sort of okay for one year, but Tremaine Johnson, I mean, he wasn't any better in free agency either. So the Jets were were this talentless pit because Mike McCagden failed at his job. Joe Douglas had one off season. He was never in one off season, the 2020 off season, going to a race 2015, 16, 17, 18, and 19. It just, it's not conceivably possible. And if you look at what he did in that first offseason, yeah, you want to rip him for, for not being as aggressive as maybe he should have been in free agency. Well, who are the free agents he should have gone after? You know, Jack Conklin's probably the one that the Jets bowed out of, the guy, the right tackle who signed with the Browns. That would have been a good addition for the Jets. 
Joe didn't go that way because he didn't believe Jack Conklin was an elite level right tackle. You know, Robbie Anderson, the Jets were worried about his off the field issues and, and didn't think he was an every down receiver. You know, the every down receiver probably was was proven true in Carolina, but off the field, I mean, there was no off the field to get in trouble. We were in the middle of a pandemic last year. So the free agency is never going to be a wild free agent guy. It's just he's not going to be the big spender. The most aggressive he's going to be is what you saw this year. But his first draft, that 2020 draft, he surrounded the quarterback with talent. Round one, Makai Becton, your left tackle. Round two, receiver, Denzel Mims. He went out and got another offensive lineman in Cameron Clark. He drafted a running back in LaMichael P. Ryan. I mean, he did use draft capital to help the quarterback. He drafted James Morgan to be a backup and help Sam Darnold in the film room. So it was kind of like the first step last year. Mims is going to be a starter. Becton's going to be a starter. Morgan, the Jets believe, can be a backup. Clark is going to compete for a starting guard position. P. Ryan's going to be involved in the running back rotation. So these pieces that he got last year, they're going to have big roles this year. They should be better within this offense, should be better with better coaching. But to think that, you know, the Jets the Jets failed Sam Darnold. Yes, the Jets did fail Sam Darnold. I've written that. They have absolutely failed Sam Darnold. But Joe didn't fail Sam Darnold. It was Mike McCagnan and the last regime and Christopher Johnson keeping that last regime around too long that failed Sam Darnold. So you can't say the Jets are going to fail Zach because they failed Sam because this is a completely different front office, completely different coaching staff in place right now. And if you're looking at just exactly what Joe Douglas has done in his one offseason as GM... I mean, he did go out and surround the court. He tried to, I mean, left tackle, drafted him. Receiver, starting receiver, drafted him. Running back, another offensive lineman. And he did go out there and try to get pieces. He just obviously has to keep doing that and doing more now that this year and next year where he's got these 21 picks. You've been doing this for a long time. You've seen a lot of bad football with the Jets. Do you get <laughs> yeah. to say a lot of bad football? I give you yeah. credit. You know, listen, yeah. maybe not as much uh, road trips, this, that last year. Yeah. Maybe that was a good thing, Connor, in more ways than one for you, at least, <laughs> to avoid that disaster and that shit show of a team yeah. for 2020. <laughs> now, from your sense, is this the most up? optimistic and fired up the fan base has been in your years of covering the team with this group? No, actually, I'll be honest. I don't, I don't think so. I mean, you have those that are like, not with Robert Sala, not with all the draft picks. I'm surprised by that. Uh, no, I, I think the, I think the issue is that it's a lot of fans have, I think, taken the stance of, of like, we're done with the blind optimism. Jet like, itis. Like, That's what it comes down to. It's yeah, it's because yeah. it's every. It's like at this point, it's every year is the same thing. This team hasn't made the playoffs in, in ten years. That's I mean, hard Rex to do, and, bro. In the NFL, that's really exactly. Hard to do. Yeah, every, it's the worst to first league. I mean, everyone can go worst to first, and it's been ten years since the Jets. So they've had all this false optimism. Whether it was the rant, the 2015 season with Fitz Magic, and you get to the doorstep, but then you lose to the Bills week 17. Then it's like, all right, well. There was legit talk of Super Bowl in 2016. Fitz comes back. Marshall, Decker, Mangold, Brick. Every, everyone's back. They lo- they lose a couple players, but they bring back Matt Forte. They've got all these guys. The offense is going to be clicking. They get off to that hot start against the Bengals. They blow up in 2016. Then it's like, all right, well, we tried, but now we're going to blow it all up and tank and get the quarterback in 18. So 17, they suck. They get Sam in 18, but then... 18, 19, they're terrible. And, and then it was like, well, 19, they, they kind of finished hot, right? Because they got Gase. They finished uh, the one and seven start, finished seven and nine. So it's like, okay, well, maybe they're they're clicking, they're thinking, they're optimistic. Two and 14. It's, it's like, I think Jet fans have taken this approach of, and I've seen it a little bit in my mentions of like, enough. Like, we're not just going to think you're going to get this right. We're not going to trust you that you're going to get this right because 
You haven't gotten it right. You haven't gotten it right in a decade. So why are we just going to blindly trust Joe Douglas? Why are we just going to blindly trust Robert Sala? And I think a lot of Jet fans are optimistic about Sala. A lot of Jet fans are kind of like, you know, we think we've got this right. But it's not like they're just going into this saying like, okay. And I think that's why when you mention Zach Wilson or if I tweet out something about Zach Wilson or say something to highlight about Zach Wilson, I'll go through my mentions and half of them will be like, yeah, we can't wait to get him in here. And the other half will be like, it needs to be Justin Fields. They ruin this. I can't wait to watch them ruin this quarterback too. Like, I think there's a lot of pessimism, even though, you know, there's this a GM that seems to be doing it the right way and a coach that's kind of fired up and all of these different things. I think it honestly is a little bit more pessimism and it's it's because it's like enough, like do something like like it, enough, enough. It's, it's enough is enough. It's no longer about like, let's just trust that the Jets are going to get this right because they haven't exactly earned that trust or, or that that reason to believe in them just yet. OK, they got a second first round pick. We know they're taking a quarterback. Mm-hmm. We know they're taking Zach Wilson. Your sense right now, Connor, what is that second first round pick for the Jets going to be? Yeah, there's there's three spots I think they'll go. I think it'll be a corner pass rusher or lineman. And I think it'll honestly Can't be, be a running back offensive. Bro. Cannot be a no, running back. That would be, be a disaster. Stuck. Makes absolutely no. no sense with whether or not it's a franchise. Dude, dude, the 49ers in, in sixteen or 2019, when they went to the Super Bowl, they were led by their rushing attack. That was a a rushing oriented team. And I think they finished with like 1,900 rushing yards on the ground and 16 touchdowns. You have to fact check me on that. I've written it, but I I can't remember off the top of my head. But I think it was like 1,916 touchdowns. They were led by three guys on the ground. ground. Matt Breida, Tevin Coleman, and and Raheem Mosher. Mosher was a journeyman veteran that was like claimed off somebody's practice squad. Matt Breida was an undrafted free agent signing. And Tevin Coleman was like a three-year, $9 million free agent, like not a big-name free agent, like a, a second-wave, third-wave free agent signing by them. That's what that offense got out of those running backs. 1,900 yards, 16 touchdowns. The 49ers ran to the Super Bowl led by those three guys. The Jet, this this offense that that the, the Matt, that Michael LaFleur is going to run is the Kyle Shanahan offense. It's not, it doesn't need a star running back. It does not need a Le'Veon Bell. It doesn't need an Aaron Jones. It doesn't need a first round, second round running back. Like it just, it doesn't need that. You can find a running back in the fourth or fifth round that's going to help this group. And honestly, I think the group is probably fine with Ty Johnson, Tevin Coleman, whom the Jets signed. Uh, LaMichael P. Ryan, we'll see. He's not really a scheme fit, but obviously the Jets are still high on him. And then Josh Adams, who they brought over from Philadelphia. I mean, I think the Jets are going to be fine with that group. Like, yeah, a better running back could help him out, but you don't need an elite running back. You need a skill set. You need speed to get the perimeter and speed to get up the field. That's what this offense does. And they'll make any running back with that skill set look like a borderline pro bowler. Look at the 49ers. Look what the 49ers have done. The Jets are going to do exactly that in New York. And so I don't think running back's an option. I think pass rusher, if the, you know, a Z Adjilari, the kid there is considered, some people believe is the best pass rusher. If he's there, that's probably a top 15 talent at 23. I don't know if the Jets can pass on him. Cornerback, obviously, there's a bunch of different options they could go. Uh, Newsom could be there. Uh, Asante Samuel, maybe Horn falls. I'm not Samuel's probably more of a second round pick, but Horn could be there. Maybe uh, that kid from Virginia who got hurt. Uh, I think he could maybe start falling a little bit, and he could be a guy that they potentially target. Or obviously, the the move that I would go with and and would be someone that that I target 100% is offensive line, and and the one that I would keep an eye on more than anything else is Vera Tucker from USC because I think he's the perfect fit both scheme-wise, talent-wise, day-one starter-wise for this offense. And for him, it's just a matter of, one, is he going to get to number 23? 
or two, if he doesn't get to number 23, is he going to get to a point where the Jets want to go up and get him? And I think that's late teens. I think that's 17, 18, 19. I could see the Jets trying to move up to one of those spots, packaging one of their extra third rounders, packaging a fourth round pick, maybe diving into the 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 11 picks they have in 2022 and using one of them, packaging 23, that pick and going up to make sure that they get Elijah Vera Tucker. And, and that's something that you can do. And that's something that you have the luxury of doing when you've got 21 picks over the next two years and, and you can package one or two of those, still have a ton of draft selections and go up and get a guy that is going to week one, step in next to Makai Becton, be a day one starter and potentially pair with Becton for the next 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 years as, as major pieces on this offensive line. Um, draft as a whole, when we're sitting here Sunday night, Connor, Obviously, surrounding the quarterback with talent is a must. I think edge rush is a key. I think offensive line is a key. But if there's like a Connor Hughes checklist of what Joe Douglas would need to do, what's on that checklist? Yeah, it's it starts with Wilson one. I would I would find a way to get Vera Tucker in the second round or with that second first round pick, whether that's packaging a fourth round pick and going up, um, whether that is um, going into like the, the cash in 2022, I, I think coming away in some way, shape or form, either organically at 23 or by moving up a few picks, get Farrah Tucker, get him, have that be pick number one in the first round, pick number two in the first round, go Zach Wilson, Vera Tucker, uh, with that early second round pick, cause the jets aren't going to trade that like the either with that second round pick, if you can move back four or five spots or just stay there, I, I would probably stay there, come away with a corner. So go quarterback. First first round pick, offensive lineman, second first round pick, cornerback, potentially Samuel, maybe Horn falls. I don't think Newsom will be there, but me, well, there's no chance of Horn being there in the second round. Maybe Newsom or maybe Samuel get one of those guys with that second round pick. In the third round, grab another offensive lineman. And that that would be it. That would be what I would do with those first few selections is quarterback, offensive line, corner, another offensive lineman. And then starting with that second, third round pick and going down, that's when you go BPA. That's when you go best player available and start rounding out this roster. If that second, third round pick, you see a running back. Like I know I was just talking about you don't need running back, don't need running back, don't need running back. But if you see a skill running back there that you're like, man, I can't believe he's there, take him. If you see a tight end there, you can't believe he's there, take him. Receiver, take him. Off, uh, uh, pass rusher, take him. Another corner, take him. I mean, when you're 2-14, and 14, JJ, you're a bad football team. You are a bad football team and you don't become two and 14 by accident. You are not one or two pieces away when you're coming off a two and 14 team You you or two and 14 season. You need everything. So for me, those first three, four picks, they need to basically be, like I said, we know it's quarterback. Then I'm going offensive line, cornerback, another offensive lineman, best player, best player at that. If it's a tackle, fine, center, fine, guard, doesn't matter. Just take an offensive lineman, take a corner, take an offensive lineman. That's what I'm doing there. Then after that, then you go BPA. And whether that's pass rusher, linebacker, corner, doesn't matter. Then you can round it out there. But the the key for them and for this to be an A-plus draft, quarterback, offensive lineman is going to be starting week one, cornerback who's going to be starting week one, another offensive lineman who's going to start week one, and, and you can fill out the rest from there. Before you say goodbye, I know you are now all in on the Marvel franchise. I give you a lot of credit oh, for been, that. Man. Oh, I'm yeah. proud of you for that. I know a lot of rewatches. Yeah. I know you're into one. I have not finished... Uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier yet? It's good. Um, what it's good. is it better than Wandavision? No, I didn't think so. I thought it was a little cornier. Like that's okay. what I, I liked it a lot. But I also I don't. It was weird for me. Like so, 
I, I get they they need Marvel needed to do that because Chris Evans is pretty much gone. Robert Downey he, Jr. Yeah, is gone. Yeah, they've had obviously. it. They need the new generation for sure. And they need to tie because that's if you think about it, man. That's what like made that series and that saga as impactful and as emotional and as moving and as powerful and as successful as it was was that they started you by they they made you fall in love with the characters. You weren't in love with Iron Man. You were in love with Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man. Chris Evans was Captain America. Like they like you loved those guys. So you followed them for 10, 15 years to get to Endgame. But you right? know what? Like, no, at the just, same time, Connor, you ended up falling in love with a lot of the other characters, whether it was you did. Chadwick in Black Panther, mm-hmm. um, whether it's Chris Pratt's character in Guardians of the Galaxy or Ant-Man yes. with Paul yes. Rudd. Like I feel yes. the same way with a lot of those characters too, where I'm all in on them. I love them. Yes. But now you have to make like the guys who played second fiddle a little bit, which the Winter Soldier did. That was a second. Now fiddle they got to be lead dogs, man. And now you gotta, you gotta, you gotta find a way to have the same emotional connection that you had with Iron Man and Captain America. You have to have that same emotional connection with these new guys, and so that's why that like they gave Wandavision. They made you care about want like the Scarlet Witch. You ma- they made you care about the Scarlet Witch. Now they're given. Falcon and Winter Soldier, they're making you care. So they're starting to build that relationship again with these TV series to then obviously move on after and like keep, like now have that new generation. And obviously like this new Spider-Man movie that's coming out, it's supposed to open up like the multiverse. So you're going to have like the Fantastic Four come in. Hopefully the X-Men come oh, in. I and love obviously it. it's going to be See, now I'm I was an X-Men guy, so, dude. Oh, me too. I mean, listen, Wolverine, Gambit, Cyclops. Oh. Before we get you yep. out of here though, we know Endgame and we know Infinity War got to be one and two, right? They have to be. I yeah. think they're the obvious choices. Infinity War one. For me, Infinity War I was one and Endgame was two. I thought Infinity War was perfect. Totally I thought that agree. movie was perfect. What's yeah. third on the list then? Where was it? I got I to gotta bring it up. I think it I was... I love that you're keeping a running tally of this, by the way. I'm very proud yeah, of you. Yeah, I got to find... Yeah, here we go. So my third was Winter Soldier. And I don't think that's... I, I'm fine with that one. Captain America Winter Soldier was my, was my third. And I thought... I'm not a huge Cap fan. Like, I was always more Iron Man than Captain America. But when I rewatched Winter Soldier and I watched that back, that's just a damn good movie, man. It like, is. that's just a freaking good movie. Like, it's it has everything. It's got character development. It's got action. It's got storytelling. It's got the, the moving moments. It's got a, a hell of a story, honestly. Like, that storyline is up there with Endgame and Infinity. Like, it really is a hell of a standalone movie. And I remember watching a review about it. It was like one of those honest trailers. I used to watch those with some roommates when I was in college. And I think one of the lines that they had on honest trailers on YouTube on that one was like, this isn't a good superhero movie. This is just a good movie. Like, this is just like, forget superhero captain, like watch this. It's just a good movie. And so for me, that was three was like, I always had uh, Captain America, Winter Soldier. And I had Avengers too. It was that, or uh, uh, the original Avengers was number four. Like those were like my top four movies. But but Winter Soldier, I think, was three, and and I couldn't move that one out there. Guardians of the Galaxy is up there too. Nah, like, both of them are great. Both of them are great. Them. Listen, yeah, thanks for a absolutely. couple of minutes. Go kill it this weekend. And as soon as you finish up with all this draft craziness before my birthday, I will see you on the golf course. I will even drive to Jersey oh, yes. just for you. By the way, I like there that. There we much. go. Oh, we got some courses out here. I'll come. I'll come up north too. I play with pick, uh, some you friends. Pick the up course. North you tell me where we're playing, and we go from there. Done. It works for me, man. Works for me. That's a great Connor use. We're back with more right after this. We go from a jet perspective to a giant perspective. Let's welcome in a guy who joined us on our first podcast, even though I didn't know that he joined us on our first podcast. And he's the Ringers resident New York Giant fan. Our buddy, Danny Heifetz. What's up, Heifetz? What's happening, bro? Nothing, man. I'm good. I just want the Giants to make this pick already. I'm excited, man. How are you doing? 
Uh, I'm doing okay. Uh, I'm excited for Thursday. It's going to be an awesome day. It's certainly uh, long awaited to say the least. Um, Let me ask you this question right out of the gate. Giant optimism as a franchise. I feel like for a lot of Giant fans, the last seven or eight years have beaten them into the ground. And it's weird because I don't feel sorry for you guys. You've won two Super Bowls. Eli and Coughlin got you to the top of the mountain. You've seen more winning than I'll probably ever see in a lifetime. So from that standpoint, I'm a little envious and I'm still a little jealous. I also am aware of the fact that since 2012, the reality is the Giants have been one of the worst franchises in the NFL. The record backs that up. They've been dysfunctional at times. I guess they had a year that's kind of a step in the right direction with Judge and the defense and whatever, but Gettleman's still there. There are still questions about Daniel Jones. Where is the Danny Heifetz level of optimism, one being the lowest, 10 being the highest, and compare it to what it was a year ago? It's weird. I have a lot of faith in Joe Judge, and I have very little faith in Dave Gettleman. And so Fair. it's weird. So I, entering last season, so a year ago, the stat that just kept whirling around my mind, clanking around my, the inner parts of my skull, was that the Giants had the worst record in the NFL from 2016 through 2019. And like that included the Browns going 0-16. So like, <laughs> I mean, again, like the Giants were the worst team in football. And so you have to, that kind of like puts you on your ass a little bit. You have to step back and be like, holy crap, they're the worst team in football. So Gettleman, I think how Giants fans feel, I can't speak for everyone. How It depends on how you feel about Daniel Jones and Dave Gettleman. I'm out on Jones. I would love nothing more from the, this kid to be successful. I know it's like a make or break year for him. In reality, I am just waiting for the failure on his part, and then we can move on. That's but maybe I'm a pessimist. I would love for him is to the great. reason you feel that way, Danny, because of the general manager who drafted him. Does it's that both. play a major role in this equation? So my I'm out on Jones because of the turnovers. At the end of the day, he turns it over. If you combine just picks and fumbles, and I don't care if the fumbles are recovered by the Giants. You fumble the ball, you fumble the ball. He's basically doing it twice a game. You can't win in the NFL doing it twice a game. It's one of the only things that's perfectly overlaps between like Football advice from 100 years ago and analytics is you can't f- turn it over twice every game as a quarterback. I don't know if you can fix that. He's like a deer in the headlights. I don't know if you can just develop pocket presence. It's like a good quarterback should be like a basketball player. LeBron James knows where all nine other players on their court at all times, even if he's not looking. You have to have that as a quarterback. You have to know where people are behind you. I don't think Daniel Jones has that. My fear is that Gettleman is so invested in Jones, they're just going to try to build around him but not admit the mistake. But anyway... How I feel about Gettleman is like, you ever watch Arrested Development? I never got into the show, believe it or not. I heard it's great. I heard it's great, but I never got into the show. There's this funny grandma, her, her, the actor played or just died actually Jessica Walter but there's this funny line where they're a really rich family and they don't know what anything costs and so the grandmother's like how much could a banana cost Michael ten dollars and like I think of that with Dave Gettleman all the time because he's a good scout and he has no idea what how to value things he doesn't know what things cost like oh Leonard Williams sure he's a great player he's right 22 million dollars a year for Leonard Williams is insane the the money they paid Galladay you know what? In the receiver market, considering, you know, Nelson Aguilar, or sorry, uh, John Brown went to the Raiders for like a million dollars, they seem to overpay for everything. And so I don't have a ton of faith in Gettleman managing the team and all the d- dotting the I's, crossing the T's. I don't have faith in Daniel Jones. But Joe Judge coached the hell out of this team last year. They it were well wild. coached. It's totally true. They should have beat the Bucs on Monday Night Football. 
Well, if the quarterback didn't turn the football over or they could have executed <laughs> a two-point play, they would have beat the Bucs. And they yes. had a lot of those games at the beginning of the year. Their offense was MIA in the final month of the year. How much of that was Jones getting hurt? I think that definitely played a role. And listen, they, at least from a look and feel standpoint, Heifetz, seem like a team to me from the outside, despite my questions with the quarterback, as a culture, as a franchise, it finally felt like for the first time in a long time they were moving in the right direction. Yes, they had an identity. The Joe Judge, I, I fell in love with Joe Judge when he was rolling around in the mud during training camp with his players and they were like spraying a hose on him. And like they love playing for this guy. You're absolutely right. They had an identity. And as bizarre as it is to say it for a team that wasn't really even super close to finishing at 500, they just had spunk they had grit I hate to say that but they did and I really believe that they if they had made the playoffs they could have also given teams a run in the playoffs like so they're building something and that's why this pick is super important and this really is a defining draft for the NFC East because you got the Cowboys at 10 you got the Giants at 11 you got the Eagles at 12 we're gonna hear about how these picks go for years because let's just say for example the Giants pass into Devontae Smith as Peter King pointed out on this pod a couple days ago or a week ago time is I don't know what time it is. It's all the same, but yeah, I see your but point. And like, that's why, and I'll cut to the chase, Heifetz. That's why, to me, I'm absolutely taking a receiver. To me, these guys have special talent written all over them. You need to become more dynamic as an offense. Didn't you get the sense last year the Giants were a vanilla, blah, boring type of offense? Dude, they need some pizzazz. So they need somebody who could go make a play. Here's my problem with that. Jason Garrett is still running this offense. I don't the think clapper. that you can't forget Jason about Garrett the all the talent in the world. Jason Garrett had all the talent in the world. He had the 2016 Cowboys. They didn't have any vanilla. Like It was still very vanilla. So I'm not convinced it's going to be magically special. I don't actually want a receiver, though. Don't get me wrong. If they take Jalen Waddell, if they take Devontae Smith, I will talk myself into that in 30 seconds. I'll be excited to root for like a Heisman running uh, receiver. So you're not going to be throwing a chair. You're not going to be having a temper tantrum if they pick a wide receiver. No. The only things that will temper tantrum me are defense. Because here's the thing. The Giants need an edge rusher. The Giants have the maybe the least experienced edge rushers in the, in the NFL. Like, no one, none of the Giants' edge rushers have 10 career sacks. Zero. Well, think about it, High Fitz. When they were winning Super Bowls, that was their bread and butter on defense. With Yuminura, with Tuck, uh, with Strahan, with Kiwanuka. When they were winning and winning at a high level, they killed it when it came to a pass rush. Especially, and who has especially that now? those edge, edge Who guys. has that now? Washington and the Niners. Well, and Washington. Washington that has true. that now. But here's the problem. There's not really value at edge rusher at the Giants are picking at 11. All the edge rushers, they're all flawed. They all have like one or two big holes in the resume that are kind of tough with the top 11 pick. You need to nail a top 11 pick because the Giants have screwed up top picks. Daniel Jones, whatever you want to say. I, I mean, Andrew Thomas, I still want to believe him, but it's iffy. I mean, Eli Apple, like, I mean, the picks they've made in the top 10, they need to get on base here. Sometimes you don't always have to hit a home run. This isn't like three true outcomes in the top 10 home run strikeout. Get on base. And so that's kind of why I want to go offensive line. Rashawn Slater, Northwestern, could play tackler guard. Even Elijah Vera Tucker, the USC guy, I, they need pass protection. I don't really want to see Devontae Smith and Kenny Galladay running streaking wide open and Daniel Jones is getting strip sacked for the third time in, in September. You know, Doesn't what I mean? it bother you, though, Heifetz, that they've put so much of an investment already in the offensive line? I mean, think about it. I'm not saying that they've nailed the picks because, listen, you redo the 2020 NFL draft. Andrew Thomas is not the third overall pick. We'll see. <laughs> no. We'll see what kind of player so, he's going to be. I'm not saying he's a stiff. Are there other tackles I'd rather have? Absolutely. 
Um, and, and think about it. They signed Solder. They drafted Will Hernandez. They brought in the UConn kid. They they traded for Zeitler, and now Zeitler's gone and is a Baltimore Raven cap casualty because the GM doesn't know what he's doing. My point is, they have gone out of their way to go and make investments in the offensive line early in drafts and in free agency, and it's been an absolute nightmare. So there's two things here. One is you're not wrong, but you, just because you screwed up picks in the past doesn't mean you should avoid it now. It's like you've got to get value here. It's an important position. You can't get them elsewhere. Just Sometimes you hit on 13, you're going to get burned in blackjack. You still got to hit in 13 next time. Number two, the Andrew Thomas pick, I'm convinced he will be better. He was like not hyperbolic, maybe the single worst starting tackle in the NFL for like the first half of the season. But here's the thing. Mark Colombo, that offensive line coach, something was weird there. Mark Colombo, cowboy, maybe it was like a sleeper, I don't know, you sleeper think he a job or judge like, just needed to fire his ass and get everybody going. Maybe yeah, that exactly. was it. Yeah, exactly. He fi- got fired him right once they gave the line back to Dave Guglielmo. Andrew Thomas went from like, awful to average real quick. I think Thomas will be a lot better. He's also really young. Don't forget that. So yes, Tristan Wirfs would be the pick now, but don't forget about Thomas. Solder, I don't think is good. I, you know what? I understand he opted out last season. I all love and respect to his family. He's not a great player. And I, just because they signed him to play tackle again this season, I do not think like they have to commit to Solder. If they have to bop someone into guard, they need it. They need guard. Hernandez, I wanted to love him, but he's a miss. Or at least it seems like it. But you kind of need a player like Slater who can go in, can go out. I just, my fear is that they'll take Devontae Smith, who I love. I love Devontae Smith. And they'll have an amazing receiving core. When's the last time you saw a team win a Super Bowl with an amazing receiving core and a bad offensive line? You could say the Chiefs, but you know what? The Giants don't have Patrick Mahomes. They have Daniel Jones. At the end of the day, the Dave Gettleman-ism that is most true is a Coughlinism, which is big men let you compete. That's a fact. And they, you're not going to get a defensive lineman worth taking at 11. I would like an offensive lineman. Uh, if it's going to be a receiver, do you have a preference to Smith or Waddle? Yes, Smith. And I understand the argument for Waddle, but I would take Smith twofold. Number one, he gets open. At the end of the day, that's the NFL skill. He, the, the, my favorite Devontae Smith trait that has been talked about is he sees the game like a quarterback. That is the sneakily one of the most valuable skills a receiver has. When you hear Patrick Mahomes talk about Travis Kelsey, he doesn't talk about his size. He doesn't talk about Kelsey's speed, which are important. He talks about Travis Kelsey used to play in quarterback in high school. And so when he breaks down what coverage the defense is in after two steps and goes to where the hole in the zone is, Devontae Smith can do that. That's why he freaking won the Heisman Trophy. He will be really fun to root for. I love him. So if he, the Giants take him, I'll be thrilled. And if the Giants pass on him and he goes to the Eagles and we have to hear for 12 years well, I was how Devontae say, Smith Hyphus, is motivated. Get ready for that, bro. It's coming because the Eagles, assuming Smith or Waddle is there, they are taking a wide receiver. I am fairly confident in saying that. I think they will absolutely take a wide receiver. Would not so prepare, prepare yourself mentally. So if you pass up on Devontae <laughs> or if you pass up on Waddle, and they're torching you next year. You're not allowed to say shit. I'm just letting you, I'm letting you know that now. You're not allowed Fair. to say anything. Okay? Allowed. Fine. I, I like Devontae Smith, to be clear. I like him. I'll be happy if they take him. So you think he will be, you're not concerned about his weight, being 155, 160 pounds. That does not concern you. No, for a couple of reasons. So, number one, the main concern for a small receiver, and he, he, to be clear, he was listed at Alabama at 170 pounds, six foot one. That is literally what the White House listed Barack Obama at. 
Like straight up open. And Obama's the skinny kid with the funny ears. Like that, you, you don't think of that dude playing football. And then he's lighter than that in real life. Devontae Smith is 166. That's small. My friend's just got a Newfoundland. That dog weighs 150 pounds. Like that's unbelievable. That dog so, is like pushing me. That's right around my <laughs> weight. Just saying. It's just huge. saying. So, but here's the thing. In football, that's a problem when it's like press coverage, right? Press coverage is like being physical with someone at the line of scrimmage. And you think you want like a DK Metcalf, like a huge receiver to fight through that. In reality, it's about whether you can get there. The defender can get their hands on the receiver. Devontae Smith was the single best corner, uh, sorry, single best receiver against press coverage in college football. Not only last year, over the last five seasons, he was the best receiver against press coverage. And the second best receiver against press coverage over the last five seasons was Devontae Smith in 2019. So it's not that huge of a problem. Maybe there's going to be cons to it, but the reality, the dude gets open. I think that he is so well-rounded that there is basically not a single hole in his resume other than he kind of looks too thin to play football. But other than that, there's nothing to say about the guy negative. Okay. They go receiver, offensive tackle. I think it will be one of the two. You think it's going to be a tackle. I think it's going to end up being a receiver. Nonetheless, the rest of his draft, Heifetz, what do you need to see rounds to and beyond from the Giants? Is there trenches. a check? Trenches. So you want second round, third round. You want defensive Guard, line and offensive line. Me, okay. If we're going Smith at 11, give me Alex Leatherwood, guard from Alabama. Just stick to the Crimson Tide. Give me Alex Leatherwood in the second round. Because, again, I will say it again. None of the Giants' defensive end or outside linebackers have 10 career sacks. I mean, think about that. I mean, we just have Lorenzo Carter out there and O'Shane Zimenez, and, like, that's it. We got nothing. It's like the Giants and the Ravens have the worst two groups in the NFL. That's not a winning formula for football. You need pass rushers. Patrick Graham is an amazing defensive coordinator. You can't just do that all the time. You need edge rushers, and, again, I, I think you need a guard. Like, Will Hernandez, I don't know if they're going to sign with a second contract. Solder, I don't believe, is an option beyond this year like you can depend on. They need to fill that belt bench. And I know they drafted a couple linemen last year. You got to do it again. Like invest. No team has regretted investing in offensive or defensive uh, line. Who is the team in this division at this point in time that scares you the most? Is it Washington? Washington? It is Washington and it is not even close. How and much does that-, that Chase Young game bother you from a few years ago when the Giants won a meaningless game in like week 15? <laughs> and I, a let lot. me tell you something. The Bengals game? I had some delusional ill-informed, misguided Giant fans trying to tell me, oh, you never want to <sighs> never want to lose a game on purpose. Ba, 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 ba. Well, guess what? What Giant fan right now wouldn't want Chase Young on that team? I, Let that sink in for a minute. You're so right. I think that the Eagles blowing that game when the Eagles tanked that game, and I think what we all learned was, well, Twitter will be mad at you for 48 hours. You will be on first take for 30 minutes and provide a lot of sports talk radio fodder and podcast fodder like us, and then everyone get over it, and then apparently you can trade back and get an extra first-rounder. And you know what? I do think a lot of teams will start reconsidering how competitive they want to be in those final two weeks of the season now that the Eagles flip back to get a first-rounder for tanking that game. And yeah, it pisses me off they have Chase Young, but I'm afraid of Washington for that reason. They have Chase Young. uh, They have two different Alabama. They have Darren Payne, and they have Jonathan Allen. They have Montez Sweat, who fell in the draft, but really was like a top-eight talent. They have the Niners formula. They have the unbelievable pass rush that they can rotate in. The line's got to get better, but Fitzpatrick, sneakily, this is the best defense Ryan Fitzpatrick's ever been with. They have Terry McLaurin. They have Antonio Gibson. Washington's the dangerous team. They need a free safety, and they need a, like a, a, a left tackle or a right tackle. And if they fill those holes, they have that's my pick the team to win that can a division. win in December. 
Heifetz, I think they win the division. Assuming I they get they good fit, assuming they get good Fitz magic and not bad Fitz magic, I think they're the favorites in the NFCs. I know you like to throw the shekels around. Let me tell you something. I would recommend people, if you believe that, betting on Washington to win the division before the draft. If they throw in a flashy player in offense or whoever they get, I think that Washington, you're going to want to bet on them before this draft because I think their odds will probably go up after this weekend. We were not buddies a couple of years ago in 2018. Um, the Saquon pick, I destroyed it on the air. Nice. Now, in fairness, and listen, you never take a running back at two. The only time you justify taking a running back at two is if you think your team is loaded and he's the missing piece and he's putting you up. Like Dallas, I didn't agree with it, Heifetz. I didn't. I wanted them to take Jalen Ramsey over Zeke. I can't sit there and say that Zeke was a bad pick because he came in, he hit the ground running, they were the one seed, they won. Okay, great. The Giants have won absolutely nothing with Saquon. He's a nice kid. He's a likable kid. I want him to be a great player. Now he's got this injury concern coming back off the torn ACL. Were you like cursing, screaming, throwing everything in sight when the Giants made that pick a few years ago? I can curse here, right? It's fine. I screamed. Yeah, you're allowed to. I did. I mean, my callers do, so that's okay. I screamed at the top of my lungs, fuck, fuck, in a room of basically every important person at the ringer, including my boss's bosses, everybody there. And everyone looked now at me. Now you're allowed. Silence. In that case, no, in that case, you throw the societal norms out the window. Yeah, it's Mike totally Lombardi acceptable. looks at me and says, what did you think they were going to do? And I remember, think, I remember being like, wow, I wonder if uh, I'll ever do anything more unprofessional in my life. But the thing with the Saquon pick that bothers me, we could go into the running back thing forever. But the thing, the real problem was I had with it was they didn't trade up with, the, they didn't do the trade with the Jets. The Jets traded three second rounders to go to the Colts, one pick behind the Giants. And then there's all this like territorialism that the Giants won't trade with the Jets for PR reasons. But the Giants, Dave Gettleman said two days ago that he wants to trade down, but he's never been offered a good thing. The Gi- the Jets paid three second rounders to move up three spots, and the Colts got the guy they were going to take anyway, Quentin Nelson. At the end of the day, football is a team sport. It is the most team sport that there is. That's why people love football. And in a team sport, when you can get four picks, so the six pick plus three second rounders, four men are always going to beat one man in a trade unless it's for a quarterback. The Giants turning that down to me, that is the part of it that broke my heart. If you're not going to take a quarterback, you take three second rounders to move down four spots is what the Giants could have done. And then on top of that, they took a running back. So it was all heartbreaking. Let's put this on record now. They take an offensive lineman, beers are on me. They take Smith, Waddle, or wide receiver, beers are on you. Is that a fair trade? Absolutely. It's a deal. Danny Heifetz, Ringer NFL. What, what do you got to plug? You got like 10 zillion podcasts. So, so what are you doing this week? So Ringer Fantasy Football Show, check it out. I think we're doing some of the best fantasy content you'll ever hear. It's fantasy, it's football. It's a lot of fun. Ringer NFL Show, I will be on uh, the whole Ringer NFL Show. Check it out every week, day of this weekend. It's going to be on Thursday, Friday. Whole draft recap after it on Saturday. Check it out there. It's a lot of fun. Spotify shout out. And yeah, man. Thank you, you for having me on. I'm excited. Uh, listen, you won't be a stranger because you are the voice of many of the disgruntled, angry, ticked off Giant fans that have seen enough winning for a lifetime, but they don't remind you of that. They remind you of the last five years. It's okay, Hyphens. You can let it all out here. It's the same. Oh, it's, well, if I'm letting it all out, I think that if if you win the bet or if I win the bet and you're buying, you're going to be buying me a $14 Bud Light at Yankee Stadium. And if I win, I'm going to find you like a $3 Narragansett somewhere in Murray Hill. For what it's worth, I like Narragansett more than Bud Light. <laughs> I think Bud Light is awful. 
I, I mean, you're going to be getting me a, a much nicer bid and Bud Light if we go to Yankee Stadium, pal. I can guarantee oh, you that. Damn. Much nicer. Hey, listen, don't be a stranger. You know where to find us, okay? Well, man, thanks for having me. That's Danny Heifetz. There's your Jet and your Giant recap. Listen to voicemails are coming up. Draft props coming up. All that and more. New York, New York, right here on the Ringer Podcast Network. All right, folks. Now that we got a Jet perspective and a Giant perspective, we covered your bases. Fair and balanced here on New York, New York, of course. It's about time for listener voicemails. Let's lead it off. Part two with a bang. JJ, it's KD from CT. It's about freaking time the Yankees started to hit, get runners in the old-fashioned way. Would you look at that? A sack fly scores a run. Getting a runner over and getting them in. Took them till April 27th. Thank God. See ya. KD not wrong. First Sacrifice fly of the year. First sacrifice fly of the year for the Yankees. That is absurd when you think about it. It's crazy. You wonder why they've been a couple of games under 500. Sometimes you need to do the little things in order to win. You got a runner on third base less than two outs? Please, get the running. A sack fly, a couple of home runs, a well-pitched game. Feel like I'm living in fantasy land. Haven't seen that at all here in 2021. Who's up next? What's up, John? This is uh, Stuart from Brooklyn. Uh, this is regarding with the uh, with the Giants draft. Uh, I, I was wondering if they can get Christian Barmore from Alabama because uh, defense wins championships. He was graded very high for the both uh, pass and run. He's had eight sacks and uh, was a disruptive force in big games. He can play the nose three and five. I think if they trade back into the middle of the first, I think he's a real contender. Um, we could and have a potent, potent uh, defensive line with Barmore, uh, Dexter Lawrence, and Shelton. And it would be a, a good addition, especially if they could pick up an, an edge rusher in the, in the later rounds. But also, I would like to also get Aziz Ojalari. Uh, he's been a favorite of mine for a long time, and I would love to pick him at 11. Uh, and be done with the speculation. We could probably trade down a few picks and still get them. Know this, Stu. Appreciate it, my friend. The Giants and Dave Gettleman are not of the mindset and are not in the business of trading down. They haven't done it. So why am I supposed to believe that all of a sudden this year, the Giants are going to trade out of the pick that they currently have? I, I just don't expect that to be the case. Ajuari is intriguing. The Giants certainly have a need at edge rusher. To me, he's not a pick that I'm making at 11. I just think the Giants are at a point where they need to be more dynamic on offense. It was obvious watching them last year. And from that standpoint, it is tough to pass up either Devontae Smith or Jalen Waddle. It's just very tough to do. Who's next? Podcast Jay, what's up, my friend? Alex from Newark. So watching the Dodgers play the Padres, it was painfully obvious that the Yankees, at least now, and I just don't see it, are anywhere on their field. I mean, what you saw there was high-caliber playoff baseball. In fact, the Padres made the Dodgers look slow. And I know we tend to be on the trend on the younger side team-wise, but – I mean, we don't look anywhere near as dynamic as the Padres or Dodgers. Padres, for sure. 
And now here's the thing. There's been some uh, some conversations on the chat, computer, others. They say they take Mookie bets over Tatis. Now, I'm no expert. I'm going to defer to you. But here's my question, my friend. You have one player to start. You go in Acuna, Tatis, or Betts. From my perspective, what I saw Tatis do, which take a big dump on the Dodgers in a historical fashion, I'll take Tatis. I await your answer, my friend. God bless. That is a hell of a question from a very fired-up Alex in Newark. And listen, Alex hit on something that's important. The Yankees right now are not as good a baseball team as the Dodgers and the Padres. They're not. Is it possible that narrative changes by the end of the year? Maybe. Do I think both teams are more talented? I do. Do I think both teams have more of an edge to them? I absolutely do. And I think both teams are more diversified and well-balanced. Now, Betts, Tatis, and Ronald Acuna, all three of those guys could play for my team any day of the week. Remember something now. Tatis is a baby compared to Betts and even Acuna. Betts been in a league now since what? 2014, 2015? Far more established. Far more of a household name at this point. And Betts has been a game changer with the Red Sox and the Los Angeles Dodgers winning World Series. Both stops along the way. So I don't like comparing him to the other two. Some are going to say that's a cop-out. Because he's established. I'll tell you this, he's better playing than Aaron Judge. And I love Aaron Judge. Betts is better. Betts is just absolutely better. Tatis and Acuna is a great one. I lean Ronald Acuna. I just do. I think he's a better hitter. It's close. They're both studs. Acuna can do it all. Tatis can do it all. See, this is baseball's problem. These guys are unbelievable bright stars. How do you not market them? How do you not have them out here, there, and everywhere? I know I would. Maybe I should get a job running baseball. Just saying. But by a smidge, if I was starting a team, it's Acuna over Tatis. Very, very tough question. Very good question. But Acuna. Who's next? Hey, JJ. Ken from Manhattan. Man, love the show. Love what you're doing. I want to take you to the future. It's the year 2025. How many world championships have the Yankees won and who of Judge, Sanchez, Torres, and Frazier are still wearing pinstripes? And is Aaron Boone still the manager? I'm going to set the over-under at 0.5 championships based on what I've seen so far. I'm hammering the under. And honestly, I don't think any of those four are still going to be wearing pinstripes. Judge has not really shown enough to say that the job require. Torres has proven to basically be a bust over the last year, and we know – Sanchez is struggling, and obviously the Yankees already have one foot out of the door with Frazier for the last year and a half. And based on all that, no way in hell Boone is still managing this team if they haven't even won a world championship with this core. Let me know what you think. Thanks, buddy. That's a good question as well. Tim on fire. Questions so far today have been absolutely terrific. Absolutely terrific. I think .5 for championships over the next five years is a very fair and a very accurate line. I have to think... Over the next five years, the Yankees win a championship. But then again, I would have said after 2017, they would have had one by now. That they absolutely, with this core and with this group, would have had one by now. As far as running through who's here and who's not, Judge will be here. He'll be here. Because he means a lot more to the Yankees than just his performance on the field. The guy is easy to root for. 
You could put him on a billboard. You got that judge's chambers out in right field. Aaron Judge will be a Yankee. His contract will be controversial, but he will be a Yankee. Torres will be a Yankee. I don't think he's the shortstop. Sanchez will not be on this team. Whenever his contract is up, he will be gone. I think Quinn Frazier is 50-50. And I think if the Yankees don't make the World Series this year, they have to take a long, hard look in whether or not Aaron Boone is the right guy to lead this team. So, a lot of variables there. I have a much better idea of answering this question by the time we hit the offseason. Trust me on that. Who's on the horn next? Hey, yo, what's up? My name is uh, Richard from Greenpoint. I'm just calling because uh, I'd love to listen to your show because um, I'm a New York sports fan. But all the crap that you have to say to the, about the Nets, it, uh, it kind of turns me off. I mean, I'm a big Nets fan. I've been a Nets fan all my life. I'm from Jersey, and uh, and we do have fans. You know, it's like, why do you have to talk shit about the Nets all the time just because you're jealous that we have, you know, three MVP caliber players? So, um, yeah, man, I just think it's BS, like, that you're uh, – that you have nice things to say about every single New York sports team except for the Nets. And, um, yeah, I think that's garbage. And so I think you're entertaining, but uh, can't listen to your show. So if you're wondering why more Nets fans don't leave voicemail, it's probably because they don't want to hear all this crap about how there are no Nets fans. Somebody's a little bitter. There are actually a ton of us. I mean, we have more Instagram followers than the Knicks. Oh, my God. So say what you want. Oh, my That's God. That's day. Oh, my That's God. Enough, enough, enough. Please end this. Rich, I might be jealous of the talent that you have, that's about it. That's about it. If you think that you are the majority in this town, you're delusional. Do I think your team is tough to take? Very tough to root for? Incredibly unlikable? The answer to that question is yes. To all of the above. Guys not playing. Kyrie Irving pulling the stunts that he's pulled. Durant and his sensitivity on social media. Opening night with Barkley. You think I'm rooting for that? No. Now, if it's a Nets-Lakers final, I'll root with my wallet. Simple as that. I'm not going to be particularly happy about either outcome. I'll root with my wallet. But for me to be you know, waving pom-poms for the Brooklyn Nets, come on. Not getting that from me. You have a sliver of fans here in town. And I'm not trying to disparage. I just don't particularly like your team. I think you can absolutely win a championship. I think you're incredibly talented. But I find your team, at times, to be rather insufferable. That's just me. Who's up next? JJ, it's Jimmy from New York. Question for you. I'm curious, what happened with Miguel Andahar? I don't know how you go from batting 297 with 27 homers to basically non-existent. I don't know if Stanton in DH spot is messing that up. I'm curious what you think. Great. Love the new show. Uh, Andahar doesn't have a position. He got Wally pipped by Giorgio at third base. So there's that. Then they tried fooling around with him in the outfield and Andahar first base. Couldn't handle it. He's got a live bat. Right now, he's injured. He's down at the alternate site. We haven't heard about him. If the Yankees are still struggling to get offense, 
And Clint Frazier is still in this massive funk. Brett Gardner is what he is. You don't want to play him every day. Would I toy with the idea of calling up Andahar? Absolutely. Because you're right. In 2018, he should have been the rookie of the year. Since then, it's been this never-ending saga of Andahar trying to get back to the big leagues, where in many ways he has become the forgotten man. Last but not least, who do we got? JJ, first time, long time WFAN guy. I'm James, transplanted New Yorker, living in LA. Uh, rare, rare combination of giant Nick Ranger and Mets fan. Uh, family loved the Dodgers, hated the Yankees so much, could not change allegiances even when the Dodgers moved to LA. And here I am, lifelong Mets fan. Anyway, I want to talk about Daniel Jones. However, uh, first, a request. As a Giants fan, please stop, stop playing sound bites from David Gettleman. My God, every time I hear him talk, it makes me hang my head in embarrassment. That bit about uh, about not trading down. Ah, Anyway, uh, Daniel Jones, third year. This has to be make or break, right? I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts. If we get halfway through a Giants season and they're sitting on three wins, Four wins. I mean, how quickly are the fans going to turn on this kid? Anyway, that's all. Love your show. Keep up the good work. Bye-bye. James, very spirited. Appreciate the call. You're not wrong. It's make or break time for Daniel Jones. It's third year. Third year, it's time to show New York City, are you the guy that's going to be here for the next decade? Or are you going to be replaced next year with a first-round pick? with a veteran quarterback. The Jazz were very lucky because for a long time, they didn't have to worry about that position. But we've seen it with a lot of NFL franchises. Buffalo after Jim Kelly. Miami after Dan Marino. To some extent, you've seen it with Denver after John Elway, even though they've had more success than others because they had Peyton Manning for about a four or five-year run and they had Cutler for a couple of years. But the long-term stability. The Niners going through all the quarterbacks that they have post-Montana and Young. It's why franchises like the Packers to count their blessings. To go from Favre to Rodgers doesn't happen often. When you're in one of those situations, cherish it. I don't see the Giants going from Manning to Jones over the next 30 years. If I'm going to answer that question right now on April 27th, I would put my money on no. Third year, though, make or break time. Go and prove me wrong. It is make or break for Daniel Jones. Make no mistake. So we have you covered with draft props every which way. But in case you're wondering, hey, how do I get in touch with the show? How do I leave a voicemail? Very simple. 917-382-1151. That's 917-382-1151. Leave them tomorrow, Thursday, right until we get going after the first round of the NFL draft. And you and I shoot the shit just like old times. Draft props coming up next. So before we get to all the draft prop stuff, which I'm very excited about, not in love with the fact that Aaron Judge got taken out of this game in the bottom half of the ninth inning. And to make matters worse... I'm not thrilled hearing from Aaron Boone that Aaron Judge has been pretty sore the last couple of days. 
travel or body stuff. I get it. He's a big dude. Big dudes have body problems. It happens. He's getting a day off in the next day or two. That's fine. It better not be five, six, 10, 20 days off. And it better not be a trip to the IL. This looks like a guy who's finally maybe rounding into form. The Yankees need Aaron Judge's bat in the lineup. I can't stress that enough. To put me in a much better mood, the great Jeff Money. What's up, Money? Hey, JJ. Jeff Money here. My handicapper picks is going to be for Wednesday, April the 28th. Let's see if I can keep my hot streak going. I got two plays for you. I got one in Major League Baseball and one in the NBA. Major League Baseball, my money play. I'm going to take the Giants minus the 130. They've been terrific at home, 9-2. and two. Alex Wood's been fantastic, 2-0, and oh, .75 ERA. I know it was against the Marlins, and the Rockies have not won on the road yet. So again, we're going to go with the Giants as my money play in Major League Baseball. In the NBA, I'm going to take the New York Knicks minus the five. The Knicks have been a covering machine and against losing teams against the spread, they're 27 and 12. So that's it. So that's my plays. The Giants in baseball minus 130 and the Knicks minus five. All right, let's go. Let's go. Take it easy, JJ. Totally get Jeff Money riding with the Knicks even after a loss on Monday. Line goes from four and a half to five. And money all over the fact that the Knicks have been cover machines against sub-500 teams. They will play one in the Chicago Bulls later on Wednesday. So I'm with you on that game. Now, the line movement would indicate Giants is the play against the Colorado Rockies. It's gone from like minus 130, which you locked in. It's now minus 144. The issue I have is that Herman Marquez is the type of arm that could shut down that giant lineup. I'm not putting my money on Colorado. It's a stay away from me, but I don't like betting against the Rockies' best starting pitcher. Not in that spot. All right, folks, now it's time. I have been counting down this day basically since we started New York, New York, because I knew, aside from the national championship game, the first real big betting event that we were going to have on our calendar was the NFL draft. And last year at this time, NFL draft props were like my saving grace. You have no idea. Because remember, we didn't have sports going on. The NFL draft was literally the only game in town. So I remember I had bets on this. I think I had two were going fifth. Uh, I had no running back getting selected in the first round. Like There was so much stuff going on that got the competitive juices flowing. It basically... Held me over until we hit late July, August, and all the sports came back. The good news is this year we don't have that problem. Baseball's going, basketball's going, hockey's going. But now that I've gotten a taste of handicapping the NFL draft, you can best believe that I'm going to have some fun doing so. And we've talked with Ariel Epstein. We've talked with Jared Smith. We've talked with Arthur Caesar. But now it is time for me. To get in the lab and figure out what I like and figure out what I don't. I'm going to give you the first one I like right out of the gate here. Jalen Waddle is going to get selected ahead of Devontae Smith. Call it a gut feel. Call it a hunch. Call it whatever you'd like. I just get the sense the love for Jalen Waddle has been there here throughout this draft process. Maybe on the other hand, Devontae Smith, the concerns about his size and his weight 
play a factor. I'm seeing Jalen Waddle over under 10 and a half. I'm taking the under at 10 and a half. I am seeing Devontae Smith at 11 and a half. I feel better about Waddle than I do Smith as far as just that total. Because after all, Waddle could be selected ahead of Smith and Smith could still go under 11 and a half. So the first prop we're going to throw in here right out of the gate, under 10 and a half for Jalen Waddle. The second one we're going to throw in, we're going to an Alabama school once again. The best running back in this draft, don't let people try to tell you otherwise, is Najee Harris. Najee Harris is the best running back in this draft. There are rumblings that the Dolphins could take him. There are rumblings that the Pittsburgh Steelers could take him. I am seeing this prop total right here at 27 and a half. 27 and a half. I know the old adage, nobody likes to take running backs. Teams try to avoid it as long as they possibly can. Well, in this case, I am going under 27 and a half for Najee Harris. Under 27 and a half, because I do believe there will be a team that makes the move and takes them a little sooner than expected, maybe, according to a lot of the mock draft people out there. I was going to call them the uh, mock draft bracketologist, but that doesn't exactly work. Third one I'm going to give you, and I think this is going to surprise a lot of people, but you have to follow where the juice is going. Sewell, the Oregon tackle, his total right now is at five and a half. The over is juiced. It's at minus 156. The under at five and a half is at plus 124. Conventional wisdom would tell you the Bengals who have a brutal offensive line are going to take a tackle. But I'm starting to sucker myself into The narrative that's out there surrounding Jamar Chase reuniting with his college teammate, Joe Burrow. And if the Bengals are going to listen to their franchise quarterback, their franchise quarterback is going to be pushing the narrative of bringing in his old pal, his old teammate, a guy who was the best receiver on that championship team two years ago. I'm going to buy into that narrative. I'm going to buy into the juice going this way. I hate laying. 156 on a draft prop, but I think it's telling. I think Sewell goes over five and a half picks. So I'll take the over there. Now, I'm so torn on what the Atlanta Falcons are going to do. And in many ways, this draft, it starts at four. Lawrence is going one. Wilson is going to the Jets at two. The Niners are taking a quarterback. Vegas tells us it's going to be Mac Jones. Because if you look right now, Mac Jones under three and a half. It is heavily juiced. It's at minus 260. Trey Lance, his total's gotten juiced over the last few days. Under six and a half at minus 230. Over six and a half, you're basically getting two to one odds over a FanDuel plus 184. I can't weigh that. I just can't do it. No value in letting 230 or 260. There's just no value in that. They're taking a quarterback at three. That is a stone cold lock. I don't know who it's going to be for San Francisco. It looks like Fields is out because his total, follow the money, follow the value. It's now at eight and a half. Justin Fields went from three and a half 
to eight and a half in the course of the week. I don't think that's an overreaction either. A lot of the cases with this stuff, folks, I like to follow the money. I think following the money is key. At four, though, here's what you're handicapping. You're handicapping, will the Atlanta Falcons keep the pick, take a quarterback, or trade the pick? If you're banking on the fact that Atlanta is either taking a quarterback or trading somebody who wants a quarterback, bet Kyle Pitts over his projected total, which is sitting here at four and a half. Getting plus money on it, too. If you get the sense Atlanta is going to stay right where they're at, they're taking Kyle Pitts. I, from that standpoint, like four and a half for this reason. I think there are a couple of quarterback needy teams. Denver, Detroit, maybe the Chicago Bears. And I think Atlanta is going to be in a position where it's just too good to be true. Four and a half, got to pounce. I'm taking that plus money. I've been looking for plus money in one of these draft props. Now I got one. And I like Kyle Pitts. I, I think he's going to be stunning the NFL. I think he's going over four and a half because I think Atlanta's trading out. Now, for you Giant fans out there, and I figured you guys would be intrigued by this, trying to figure out who their first draft pick is going to be. FanDuel's got a ton of options out there. They got the two Alabama wide receivers at one and two. And for what it's worth, if either one of those guys is on the board for the New York Giants, that should be the pick. Seeing Devontae Smith is at plus 300. Jalen Waddle's at plus 380. Rashawn Slater's at plus 500. Michael Parsons, which, by the way, would be such a mistake for the Giants. They go and take a linebacker. He's at plus 600. Patrick Sertan's at plus 650. And J.C. Horn. It's amazing. You got the son of Patrick Sertan and the son of Joe Horn in the same draft. And the son of Asante Samuel Jr. I mean, that is, that is insanity. What do I like there? I like one of the two Bama receivers. I would take a stab at one of those two. And because I think Jalen Waddle will be off the board when the Giants select, I think Devontae Smith might be a decent play at plus 300. There's so much to dive into with some of these props, though, folks. For example, give you another one I like. You don't have to lay a ton of juice, but I think it's an absolute no-brainer. The first running back drafted in the 2021 draft. It's basically boiling down to Najee Harris or Etienne. I know there's love for Travis Etienne. Currently, some people trying to make the case he should be ahead of Harris. Nonsense. Don't get fooled here. Miami or Pittsburgh will end up with Najee Harris. So I would take him at minus 230. That's me. First offensive lineman drafted. Mr. Sewell is a heavy Heavy favorite at minus 390. Might be some value to own Rashawn Slater if you want to take him at plus 250. That's the only bet you can make there. The other guys on the board, I mean, we're talking about plus 2,600. We're talking about plus 6,000. No, thank you. No, thank you. And first corner drafted, if you're interested. Patrick Sertan is at minus 300. J.C. Horn is at plus 170. 
I think there's decent value with J.C. Horn at plus 170. I do. Because you know the Dallas Cowboys love him. That's what a lot of reports are at this point in time. That's one I would think about. I know most people would tell you Satan, but hey, plus 170, that's a good roll of the dice. And basically what you're banking on is that one team maybe has Horn a little bit higher than Satan. And if that's the case, you end up cashing in. If you're wondering about the second overall pick in the odds, by the way, Jeff fans, and why I don't think there's going to be any drama, intrigue, shock, Zach Wilson is minus 5,000. Minus 5,000 to be the number two overall pick. Justin Fields and Trey Lance are tied with one another at plus 2,000. Third overall pick. It's Mac Jones at minus 340. It's Trey Lance at plus 300. Fields at plus 650. So the odds are telling you it's going to be either Mac Jones or it's going to be Trey Lance. Numbers do not lie, folks. They do not lie. I'm going to be having a ton of fun with these. Ton of fun with these. So a little quick recap. I like Parsons over 12 and a half. I'll lay 130. Don't hesitate. I like Sewell over five and a half. I like Najee Harris under 27 and a half. I like Kyle Pitts over four and a half. I like Jalen Waddle under 10 and a half. And if you can find it, and FanDuel does have it, if you can get Jalen Waddle ahead of Devontae Smith, I think it's worth your while. I think you're laying minus 170 or 180. I mean, there's so much to find here. Here it is. It's minus 182. See, you get lost. I'm on the FanDuel Sportsbook right now, and they're doing such a great job with this stuff. There are just thousands of bets. So, like, I had them organized. You know, you would think I'd have them all jotted down. No, I don't roll that way. I'm kind of fly by the seat of the pants kind of guy. So, I have these bets in. I don't have them organized. There's somewhere on my bet slip. But Jalen Waddle minus 182 over Devontae Smith. I like that. And if you're wondering about Justin Fields versus Trey Lance, this is fun. Trey Lance at minus 144. Justin Fields at plus 114. Here's what you're trying to figure out there. Is the chatter and the talk about Fields slipping now a smokescreen or justifiable? See, I don't have a great feel on that, so I'm not going to go near it. And I don't have a great feel on where to take Justin Fields as far as eight and a half despite the market moving the way that it is. This is another fun one. Sold Jamar Chase to be drafted first. Chase now minus 186 as far as that goes. So many fun bets. Oh, my goodness. I'm overwhelmed thinking about it. And it means we're going to be in for a terrific, terrific Thursday night. So, bunch of these I like. My favorite two, probably. Waddle over Smith. Under for Najee Harris. Those are my favorite, though. We'll be back Thursday into Friday. I get the sense it's going to be a very late Thursday into Friday for years truly after the first round of the draft, but that's how I roll. That's why we do what we do. So we'll have you covered right after the draft's first round, reaction, voicemails. And a lot of people have been asking me, JJ, how do you leave a voicemail to New York, New York. It's a great question. It really is a great question because some of you may know. Others, on the other hand, you have no clue. So here's what you got to do. 
Get on the phone. Keep it simple, stupid. If I can do it, anybody can do it. Even though I haven't left the voicemail yet, but you get my draft. So here's what you do. 917-382-1151. That's 917-382-1151. We'll have reaction to the draft, all the baseball, Knicks. We'll see if they get back to winning ways. We will chat with you in a couple of days. JJ, signing off. Be good, everybody. Be good, everybody.